0: So I'm Gary LaPointe. I'm a professor of supply chain management. I'm a professor of practice at Syracuse University. And I've been there on starting my 20th year in the fall. And before that, I um, worked in industry for 17 years in a variety of different areas of supply chain in operations and um, in logistics and for a lot of uh, large companies. And I came to the university because I wanted to try. I always liked the academic environment, and I taught evening classes for the university. An opportunity came up, so I kind of took a leap of faith and left my professional career behind. And I've been here now for 20 years. And so I've also got all my education through Syracuse University, um, my undergraduate, my MBA. I got a master's as well. And I'm working on my dissertation for my doctorate also at Syracuse University. So I am an orange man through and through right to the bone.
1: Yay, go orange.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My specialties are um, I teach Lean Six Sigma, which I really enjoy. And I teach project management. I also teach uh, logistics strategy and some courses in um, intro courses and operations.
1: Thank you. So why do you choose to pick supply chain as your field of study? Because I feel like supply chain management is an unpopular major and freshmen tend to enter Whitman or any other business schools as a business management or a marketing major. So the fact that you chose supply chain management and following it through for over 20 to 30 plus years is so incredible. Have you ever thought about doing something else besides supply chain?
0: So I start off, I was actually a long time ago, a dual major in marketing and supply chain, but I realized, you know, I started doing a number of interviews and all they were all leading to sales types jobs. I didn't really wanna be in sales and I really enjoyed operations more. And um, supply chain gives you so many different opportunities and so many different paths to go to. You don't have to, it's not like, okay, I'm gonna just be, in purchasing, and that's my career. I'm just not gonna be in transportation, that's my career. Oh, there's a huge umbrella of opportunities under the in supply chain.
1: A common misconsumption when it comes to supply chain management, because I feel like not many people realize the relevancy of supply chain and how it can have a devastating impact in the whole firm function or the whole corporation how it operates many people thought that if you graduate with a supply chain major you're probably going to be a truck driver because it's associated with transportation or you'll work in a factory or a warehouse
0: oh yeah i agree there's a in particular they see maybe supply chain is oh it's just inventory or maybe it's just um Transportation, or just one of just one of these little areas, but it's so many different areas. I mean, one of the other areas that I find fat, personally fascinating is is port operations. Port operations is a really exciting area, and um, a lot of the, the larger ocean lines now are are testing autonomous ships, and a lot of the operations at port operations are highly automated as well. I mean. It's, So the other interesting thing about supply chain is a lot of the business innovation is happening in supply chain. A lot of the the talk about robotics, artificial intelligence, um, autonomous vehicles, it's all taking place within the area of supply chain. And so there's a really, it's becoming kind of a sexy, a sexy kind of topic to get into. I mean, for a long time, it was not so particularly sexy. It was like the transportation and distribution, that was kind of it, but now it's, Kind of really exploded and the most recent pandemic has kind of opened up everybody's eyes to the importance of, of supply chain as well
1: mm-hmm. i do remember in the most recent whitman spring of 2021 magazine you've talked about how companies and government should reevaluate their supply chain especially as more people realized the relevancy of supply chain in all aspects of daily life it was interesting how you said the pandemic gave companies a big slap in the face because they were so unprepared to deal with the increase in demand of many of the commodities. Could you please explain how this pandemic disrupted the supply chain system, especially on a global scale?
0: Well, yeah, I think so. A lot of times uh, companies tend to get a little bit comfortable and they don't really do the risk assessment. They may they may be aware of the risk, potential risk, but they hadn't done a very good job of planning for those risks, in part because planning for risks and making those kind of agile types of of investments into companies cost money. And sometimes it's difficult to sell those ideas and those strategies to upper management when it's gonna add cost to the company and reduce the profitability of the company. And so I think a lot of companies probably maybe were aware but they didn't really have a good plan in place to deal with something like this. And so when it happened, Boom! It had hit, hit a lot of companies right in the face with "Holy cow, we're stuck." We've overinvested in Asia. We've overinvested in these long supply chains. We're too reliant, perhaps, on on third party people um, to do a lot of the work for us. We outsourced critical items that we maybe shouldn't have outsourced, and maybe have kept them in house or closer to in house. And so, a lot of companies, I think. Um, we're kind of jolted into this, it's a, holy cow, we are kind of caught off guard with this and we, we they weren't prepared for it.
1: So do you think third party providers should continue to exist? Or do you think in the near future companies will actually work towards creating their own delivery network?
0: Um, probably not. Uh, I think there's still going to be this need for these third party providers. I see uh, if you have some, um, perhaps some items that have some critical handling requirements or some critical delivery requirements. You may see companies, you know, doing some of their own private fleet operations or maybe controlling some of their transportation a little bit more, but transportation is an expensive, is, is expensive and to operate your own vehicles and your own drivers is, is expensive as well. So I still see the third-party uh, transportation providers being a being a big role. Now, with that said, transportation this past year has gone up dramatically uh, in in costs um, and doubled the, in some, a lot of instances. So transportation expense has become really in the spotlight for a lot of companies. And there's not a lot that can be done. And there's a number of reasons why. I mean, there's still a driver shortage issue uh, for, for trucks, and that's driving up um the cost of, of drivers and some may say well it's not a driver problem it's a driver pay problem so i guess it depends on how you look look at the problem uh, what's driving this there is a container shortage problem i kind of maybe gonna get into some current topics i suppose but there's a number of factors maybe that are driving the, the price of transportation so every company is fully aware of, of their transportation you know, operations at this point but with that said, it's, it's pretty expensive to operate your own private fleet as well.
1: Yeah, going along with current news, I noticed that supply chain can be heavily impacted by climate change and unpredictable weather. For example, the wildfire in California and Australia had devastating effects on the logistics network. When unpredictable natural disasters happen, not only is it dangerous, but truck drivers have a difficult time finding alternative routes. It can cause possible shipment delays and increased transportation costs. So now I'm wondering how supply chain managers and risk planning managers can develop strategies, maybe not to avoid, but to able to deal and prepare for situations like these.
0: Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure how companies are dealing with um, you know, you can't control a wildfire. A wildfire pops up and, you know crosses over uh, some of these main, you know, highways. There's not an awful lot of them that go through, you know, like the the Sierra Nevadas and those uh, mountain ranges. There's only a few key roads that go through there. And so when those get blocked, they get blocked. To get around them is a big expense. So uh, it all goes to part of the the whole risk planning that companies have to go through the whole agile, you know, um, strategies that companies need to go and, and develop but like I said before, those can be expensive, you know, to develop these agile networks, and a lot of companies are reluctant to go and make those different uh, investments. You know, I mean, you could have operations in the West Coast just to deal with West Coast operations and to protect yourself against forest fires. I don't know if there's a particular easy answer to deal with the forest fire problem. Um, the same thing is dealing right now with the container issue. I mean, there's a huge problem now with an imbalance of containers around the world. Prior to the pandemic, you know, um, we every, all the countries in the world were receiving a lot of goods from Asia. And so, and not a lot was going back to Asia. So there's always been this imbalance and there's always been uh, at least 30% of the containers that go back to Asia are going back empty anyway, um, just because of the imbalance of trade that takes place between Asia and the West. But when the pandemic hit, all of that stopped. And so those containers were now not going back to the East. They're all stuck in the West. And now that the pandemic is over or semi over kind of, and operations are starting back up in Asia and shipping is starting back up. There's no containers to put them on. They're all stuck in, in the West. And so... There's this big push to get empty containers back from the West back to uh, the East. And, but in the meantime, product is sitting at the port. It's being delayed. It would also took taken place over the past year, couple of years has been a lot of consolidation of steamship lines. And so um, they've taken some of these smaller vessels offline and replaced them with these mega ships, um, these mega container ships, the steam operators need to keep running. And so they're, uh, they, they can't stop these ships. They're too expensive not to operate, and so all those containers are now waiting to go onto these mega ships, which now have limited ports that they can go to because they can't fit everywhere, and so it's causing all kinds of problems. Now, now the other problem is companies buying space on these vessels. They can't purchase space on the, these vessels because. There's so much capacity reduction that's taken place over the past year in port ships. So the lack of space, the lack of um, available containers has led to the price of um, ocean freight basically doubling this past year. And also a significant, significant delays, months, months of delays in some instances of getting your freight from the east coming into the west. And on top of it all, now those big ships can't park everywhere. They only can go to a few ports that can accommodate those giant ships, and where before some of those smaller ships could go to drop off at the smaller ports, and they kind of make their way down the coast, for example. And uh, now they can only go to a couple different ports, and they have to be unloaded and then trucked back up.
1: Yeah, on top of the container shortage and the port capacity issue, I know that there are other global supply chain disruptions that are happening right now. For instance, with Starbucks, the corporate announced that they're out of certain key ingredients due to their supply chain shortages. And it's just funny how the situations portrayed on social media, because it seems like there's two sides. One group will be like, "Oh, it's not a big deal. It's no biggie. We can wait for the drinks um, when there's a restock in inventory." And then the other side will be like, "No, I need my drink. I need my caffeine."
0: <laughs> a lot of companies are having a big problem getting getting their components in, their ingredients in, whatever you wanna call them from, if they're coming in from outside the US, there's a lot of problems in getting that stuff in. And it's a lot more expensive to get it in. And that's gonna, it's all fueling, you know, these worries of inflation. Um, somebody has to pay for it. There's no, despite what you may see on these TV commercials, oh, um, Shipping is free. There's no free shipping. Somebody pays for the shipping. Okay. And it's usually the buyer somehow is paying for the shipping. One way or the other, the buyer is going to pay for the shipping. And so, uh, if those costs are going up, components are going up. I mean, it all leads to worries of possible uh, inflation issues and concerns. I mean, if we're talking about some of the current issues in supply chain going on right now, one of the other issues is the lack of warehousing space. And part of that, believe it or not is being driven by the legalization of marijuana. What's happening is now that marijuana has been legalized, it's being grown in controlled environments. You know, before it was grown out in the fields and illegally. Well, now it's being grown controllably and they're renting cheap warehouses to grow it in. If you look at where have you categorized warehouses by A, B and C or D where A is maybe a primary distribution, a a very nice facility. And maybe a C or D is a low grade, low level distribution facility. Those are being gobbled up by these um, cannabis growers because they're cheap. Um, People that could maybe have before stored their freight at a at a C or D level kind of a distribution center, those are not available any longer. And so they're now being forced to go to a B or an A or a prime kind of a distribution center. And those are are, are becoming more and more scarce. And the price of it is, is also doubling as well because those, lo- this, those low level distribution centers have been gobbled up by, uh, like I said, the, the the cannabis growers in a lot of cases and is driving the price of the higher quality distribution centers up as well. And like I said, making the capacity of those scarce combined with all of that, now that uh, companies have kind of been burned here in the pandemic a lot of companies have been burned the pandemic because they were importing a lot of materials you've heard the concepts of perhaps near near nearshoring reshoring you know bringing bringing manufacturing back from the from asia to the us or or bringing it back closer to uh, north america Uh, well one of the other topics that has now been coined is called near storing so near storing is now storing your merchandise instead of more as a as a hedge against uh, risk,
1: but isn't storage facilities crazy expensive as well? Yep. Wait. So which one's more cost effective, transportation or storage?
0: Problem with the transportation is we can't. The, it's not reliable because we don't know if we can get if it's, it's being imported. We don't know when we can get it right now, until things get more imbalanced or more balanced where the containers are and then the ports get less clogged up. I mean, I think the Long Beach is now, uh, is not as clogged up as it well, but there was, there was a several week delay just getting ships unloaded, let alone shipping from Asia. Once they shipped, it was unloading them was a huge, huge problem. And so um, there's just, a, we just don't have right now that confidence that we can get transportation in a timely fashion if it's coming from uh, offshore.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think companies are just playing safe right now. They're on a watch to see where pandemic can take them. So with the whole near story and companies being much more cautious on designing risk preventative planning, how would you see supply chain managers rearrange their supply chain after the so-called post-pandemic era?
0: Oh, so I think you're going to see a lot more attention being paid towards their the risk the risk management plans. Um, they should be anyways. And I think they're going to be taking another closer look at where they're sourcing the materials from and what's the risk of, of something like this happening again to those kind of types of items. And should some of those items be dual sourced? Should they be sourced closer? Should we make some of those to ourselves? Um, should we should we store some of those in case some of those this this kind of a thing happens again? And so I think you're gonna have companies taking a look at um where some of those things are sourced not to say that they're going to shift everything i don't think that's going to happen either i think you're still going to have manufacturing done in the far east i think you see a maybe another closer look at where things can be done maybe at least if you're a a company in the west could we do more stuff in mexico or panama is another opportunity for i think companies to take a look at i've always been a fan of of haiti um, Haiti's close to the U.S. It's an island. It's but it's got it's a it's a, it's a poor economy. I guess I'd like to see um, manufacturing developed just to help the economy of Haiti. Uh, but the the labor cost is also very inexpensive in Haiti. The problem with Haiti is um, their infrastructure is very poor and they don't have a very good port at Haiti. In fact, the, what the port that they did have was destroyed by the hurricane, the last hurricane that came through there, and now. Um, uh the military kind of rebuilt the port but i think there's opportunities uh in some of those island nations like haiti for some manufacturing to take places closer to the the western markets
1: yeah i i agree with you that those are critical questions that companies or at least supply chain managers should really dive into and take a closer look maybe consider moving some manufacturing opportunities closer to the home country could be could be a way but again that can't happen overnight and so it's definitely a long-term process that requires long-term planning and if they did follow through with that strategy they also have to consider the possible political legal and economic issues they might also trial off with their decision but a good news at least in my opinion despite all the chaotic and the negative news about how supply chain is torn apart due to their supply chain shortages and shipping delays i did see corporations raising up and taking positive roles on csr or corporate social responsibility where i see more businesses are committing to practice environmental and social sustainability efforts instance i see more businesses making sustainable products or at least making sure their sourcing managers are picking environmental-friendly ingredients to put into their products. Many companies, including Shell, ExxonMobil, Boeing, Tesla, and so forth, announced their net-zero carbon emissions goal, which focused on finding alternative renewable energy source and design new products that are more sustainable. I think those are good start-up points. I'm just not sure if companies will be able to follow through with this commitment, again, due to the high costs and sometimes, there's no guarantee that their contributions will result in higher returns. So I'm just curious uh, if CSR and their efforts in sustainability will eventually die off.
0: No, not this time around. I don't think it's going to die off, Um, especially now, especially if the economy is good, it's not going to die off. I think you you tend to see it die off when the economy goes bad. and then in companies struggle and then people struggle and then it doesn't have that. It's not right there in the forefront, but right now it is in the forefront and it's um, got a lot more attention and a lot people are much more aware of it. They, people see the, the different um, effects that climate change I think are having, and they're much more aware of what companies are doing and they want to be associated with companies that are doing the right thing for the environment. They're doing the right thing from, um, a social standpoint and that's having an impact on stock price and that's the bottom line for companies Um, is it going to impact my stock price if it is then what they're going to do it and right now it is having a positive impact on stock price you're also seeing people especially young people who want to go work for a company that's environmentally and socially responsible Um, like yourself you don't want to go work for a company that's polluting the water and polluting the air um, and you can see that happening. And so why would I want to work for a company that doesn't care about those things. And so if companies want to attract good talent moving forward, they've got to be paying attention to these things because um, a lot of younger people have this in their mind. And they want to be associated with companies that are taking care of the environment and doing the right thing for, uh, for society as well. And so I don't, it's, it's definitely not going to go away at this point. I think where, where companies are struggling is it's still, it's not really well-defined as to what, you know, what, what should companies be doing? And I know that they got now these different scores that are out there. Oh, what's your, your ESG score? What's this score? And there's too many people right now have different ways of creating a score. You know, there's no standard score for anybody. There's no standard way of scoring. There's no standard way of necessarily measuring it. As far as the concept of, of companies having the, you know, working towards the zero net emissions, I think that's here. And you're gonna see companies working towards that. Um, you're gonna see governments, more governments paying attention and working towards that uh, as well.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I believe that there's still this lack of accountability when it comes to sustainability, especially because there's still no set standards. There's no one way to define sustainability. Everybody else has their own um, creative meaning when it comes to how they define it. Some people believe that sustainability is more about the people. Um, some more believe that sustainability is around environmental issues or climate change and even personally speaking I have my own set of definition when it comes to sustainability And on top of that, not that sustainability is a new topic or issue, but prior to the pandemic or, or anything else, it was just not as popular, and unfortunately, it was a secondary component to everything else that's happening around us. So I'm glad that young people, especially in my generation right now, are courageous enough to speak up against issues that they believe are unacceptable and actually have the ability to influence firms
0: and government actions. Yep. There's also so many different aspects of, you know, what do we mean by sustainable, a sustainable supply chain? Does it means to have a, a sustainable source of supply that could be also be a sustainable supply chain? Um, is my product um, environmentally responsible? So when I throw it away, what happens to it? You know, that's a part of sustainability. Sustainability from my workforce, you know, do I want a, an inclusive workforce? Is that sustainable? So there's so many different co- components of what sustainability means. Um, I don't know if those are all completely well-defined yet either. And so when you talk to a company about, well, how are you positioned for sustainability? So, well, I've got my suppliers are here and here, and here is it, okay, let me, That's one part of sustainability. I've got, a, I've got a sustainable source of supply. I got a sustainable source of transportation. I got a sustainable source of all my components. about sustainability is becoming it's almost this whole separate uh, department of of the companies of what do we mean by sustainability what's what what are we going to include in this topic of sustainability
1: so what do you think is a hot topic in sustainability right now
0: Um, from an electric standpoint certainly electricity is now electric vehicles are going to be really dominating you know manufacturers from now moving forward (laughs) whether electricity, I mean, battery technology. I mean, what I love so much about Elon Musk is that he challenged the big automakers when the big automakers were telling everybody, no, electric vehicles are just not um, a viable alternative right now because the battery technology is not there. Well, he proved them all wrong. Basically, he proved them wrong by making an electric car in his own garage and and then making the whole car industry and shifting that whole entire auto industry to electric vehicles. Now every car company is making electric vehicles and some car companies are gonna be only making electric vehicles by 2035. So, um, you know, he gives a lot of credit, I think for shifting that whole mindset. I think there's other really good opportunities moving forward in that that space. I think hydrogen is a a really viable alternative in my opinion, to electric vehicles. The problem we have electric vehicles from what I see is Nobody knows what's going to happen to the batteries when the batteries run out. So everyone likes an electric car until the batteries don't work anymore. And then you got to replace the battery and you find out, oh, I got to take my entire car apart to get to my batteries because my batteries line the whole chassis of my car. And so the problem with batteries right now is every time you recharge a battery, it loses a little bit. It never goes back 100% to exactly where it was. It gradually, gradually gets less and less and less and less. To some point, it just doesn't hold the charge um, until they come up with some better battery technology. So at some point, you've got to replace the batteries. And so that hasn't really happened yet because not cars, electric cars have not really been along, around long enough to have to deal with that problem.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you think sustainable supply chain in the near future will be heavily dominated by autonomous vehicles or alternative energy source like hydrogen fuel?
0: um hydrogen I think is a really great alternative to, it's been around for a long time it just was never really developed but it's got a lot of power it's got zero emissions the, the emission is water vapor um bringing it from you know the byproduct of, of hydrogen there's a couple of countries like Sweden has actually had a little um highway they developed for just hydrogen vehicles like a hydrogen filling station the problem with hydrogen is is filling up <laughs> You know, where do you go to get your next tank of hydrogen? I think they will? I think that's a really viable option. I think then down the road, you're gonna see a lot, everything's going to become autonomous in the future. Not completely autonomous. I mean, it's its a gradual buildup. You can't just have cars driving around by themselves everywhere at this point. I mean, i I can see I can see autonomous trucks going long haul, like across the country, and then maybe go from one terminal to another terminal, long haul. Well, they don't have to get off the main road very, very much. And then a driver takes over from the short distance. I can see that. I know shipping companies are already testing autonomous ships. I know my brother is an international airline pilot, and the plane he flies is that basically, it could land and take off um, by itself, um, essentially if it had to. It could. It's, he said it could easily land if it had to by itself. Taking off, I mean, that could all probably. I can see down the road that the planes at some point will be autonomous as well. So you see autonomous autonomous vehicles emerging everywhere and down the road in in the future of of logistics and supply chain.
1: Okay, thank you. We definitely talked about so many different topics within supply chain today, from current news to risk management, to sustainable supply chain, and ending up with today's conversation with a prediction of what the future holds for our supply chain and logistics. And apparently, we both believe that there's a light with autonomous vehicle, and we'll, we'll see what happens. So if you have three words to sum up today's conversation, what would they?
0: Three words to sum up? Well, I think certainly it's, it's relevant. I mean, certainly the topics we talk about are, are current, and and they're relevant uh and, and timely sense of the provocative right I mean to make us think a little bit more about what we got to do going forward Um, from a risk standpoint you know we've got to like keep this going going forward we've got to do a better job of um, planning for risk how do we keep you know I think the momentum is there I think the momentum is not going to go away with this and so it's got it's got to be designed and built into our supply chain moving forward as well.